0: I think we should start with the Apostles' Creed, if we could have that. And this is really important because today there's a great falling away from these truths of Scripture. So, if you'd like to stand, one more time, we'll recite this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? I do believe that. And you know, it's really, I was thinking this morning, I was a little bit frustrated because I said, Lord, I'm going to, and I love, I love, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak and speak from the scripture, but I sometimes, I get frustrated with the, the amount of unbelief that's in the world around us. Have you ever felt that way? It's like, you folks, look. This is real. This is truth. And there's so many people today that believe anything that comes down the pike. Do you ever notice that? I mean, just stop for a minute. Now, most of us re- recall uh, some. A few people recall, perhaps, Adolf Hitler. Most of you've heard of Adolf Hitler. How this one man deceived pretty pretty much a whole nation. One man. And his team pretty much deceived a whole nation and caused the deaths of of something like 70, 80 million people and just destroyed a whole continent. How did this one man do that? And people believed in him. And I think of this, and I think of this in regards to Christianity, how Jesus has come. And for 2,000 years, skeptics have been battering and battering and battering and battering against the truth of Jesus Christ, against his existence. 2,000 years, people have been trying to destroy him, and yet he lives in our hearts. He lives in our hearts, not in an not, not in a, a abstract way, but a tangible way. He has come into our hearts for those of us who believe and receive him to come into our heart. And we know that we know that we know that we know We may have doubts at times, we may have trials, we may have different things that go on in life, but we know deep inside, he lives, he lives, he lives. He He rules, as I believe Napoleon says something, the Nazarene, he rules from the grave. Well, Jesus is no longer in the grave, but he continues to rule. And so what goes on with this? Skeptics, as I said, come, and skeptics go, and they continue to batter. The Longfellow wrote a poem, and he said, uh, it was a poem about uh, a man walking through a village, and he heard the blacksmith, and he, and he heard the vesper chimes, the evening bells were ringing, and he, he heard the blacksmith, so he went into the blacksmith shop, and he said, how many hammers, how many anvils of you? And he said, just one. How many hammers? And he looked and showed him under the bench. There was a whole pile of broken hammers and wore out hammers. How come one anvil and one all these broken hammers? And the old blacksmith says, "The anvil wears the hammer out, you know." And I never forgot that. As a blacksmith, I relate to that. The hammer, the anvil wears the bla- the hammer out, you know. So over the centuries. Longfellow wrote in his poem, the skeptics have come and they've brought their hammers and they've hammered on the anvil, but the anvil stands. Does anybody know what an anvil is anymore? Okay, a few people do. The anvil stands, but the hammers break and they crack and they wear out. The skeptics come and they go. They live and they die. They're here one year, a few years later they're gone. What's 50, 60, 70, 80 years? It's not much, is it? in the scope of eternity. What's that have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. Because here we are, this Christmas season, once again, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? And even the world, even the world, the skeptics, even those, the atheists, even those kind of bend the ear, some of them join in the festivities. Of course, it's not about Christ, it's about Santa Claus, and it's about... It's about chestnuts on open fires, and parson browns, and and sleigh rides, and all those things, which I don't really know what really have to do with Christmas, but it's kind of fun to listen to sometimes, isn't it? But there's the skeptics out there that have come to destroy this whole concept of God. Let's read out of Isaiah once again. Now, if you're a skeptic, if you are a, um, perhaps an atheist, if you are an agnostic, that's where you're at. But don't do and don't believe that because someone else has convinced you you should believe that way. Don't follow an Adolf Hitler. Don't just follow the words of the world. That's what I'm saying this morning. Study for yourself. Look into it for yourself. There's a great story about uh, a man who wrote a book called uh, uh, Search for Lee, New York Times writer, Strobel. Strobel. What was the name of the title? Case for Christ, thank you. It was on the tip of my tongue, and it wasn't, it wasn't rolling off. So Case for Christ, and he was an atheist. Lee Strobel was. He was a journalist, I think, for the New York Times, wasn't he? Uh, one of the major newspaper, anyways. And so he was a journalist, and he was, he did a review about Christ, and he began to look through the historical evidence to find out was there really a Christ. Was there really a Jesus and did he really was he really raised from the dead? And he did, as an atheist or an agnostic, I think he was an atheist, as full blown, he studied and he did his research, and he came to the place and said the evidence is concrete. There's no room for doubt. He did live. He was crucified. He was resurrected as the scriptures say amazing here's a secular guy that has done the research so wherever you're at today don't just don't just say take on what somebody tells you and believe it you know richard dawkins today written a number of books one called the god illusion have you ever watched richard dawkins on a youtube or watched an interview with this guy why would anybody believe this character just because he has all sorts of letters behind or in front of his name doesn't mean he's credible. And if you've ever listened to the guy, he's a very arrogant man, isn't he? He obviously has a, he obviously has a, a very... Um, got some real negative feelings towards God. His brother, by the way... No, I'm sorry, that's another brother of another world-renowned atheist who is a believer. But, so what I'm saying is, for us... If you're in that place, seek God. Are you real? Study the scriptures. Study historical evidence. You know, one of the most uh, well-known historians of the time that Jesus lived was Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. And he wasn't a believer. He was a Jew. He wasn't a believer in Christ. But... He wrote that Christ did exist. He wrote about the Nazarene. He wrote about the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is real, whether you believe it or not. Now, here's the good news. 353 scriptures, prophecies, I should say, in this book, in the Old Testament, point to Jesus Christ's coming. 353. There are 2,400, I've mentioned this other weeks, but there's 2,400 uh, prophecies in this whole book about his second coming. Of the 353, everyone has come to pass. How can that be if there is no God? How can that be? Well, What's that to me? Well, what's that to me if, there's, if Jesus came? Let me just live my own life. Well, what that means is there's a judgment coming. And this is something we don't normally talk about. There's a judgment coming. It's in the scripture too. And we're all going to be judged. And it ain't going to be good for most people. But God in his mercy has sent forth a gift to mankind. His self. Himself. He came as a human being to pay the price for our sin which separates us from God and from man. And because he came and paid that price through the sacrifice, his own sacrifice, all human, completely human. I just wrote a little blog on that on our church Facebook, Why the Virgin Birth. And Jesus came, uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was not conceived by a human father. Joseph was his stepfather. Though the lineage was important, of David, the lineage of Abraham and David and Joseph and Jesus Christ being of the lineage of Abraham and David were prophesied in the scripture and was very important. And he came uh, as, a, uh, uh, as a child who was born conceived by the Holy Spirit through a human, a, la- a woman, a young woman. And this child then is fully human, has every need that you have and I have, uh, faced every temptation that you and I face, pain, suffering in this world, but yet lived a life that was 100% pure unto God. That wasn't possible if he had a human father because we were all born into atoms, fall, aren't we, into Adam's nature. Adam sinned. All human beings sin, even as little babies, as innocent as they are. They're innocent at that time, but there is a nature in them at one place, at some point in their life, there's a nature in them that begins to take over to one degree or another, and it's called a sin nature. It's a selfish nature, isn't it? Have you ever watched these little kids when they get to a certain age? What do they behave like? Mine! <laughs> all right? Mine! I'm, you, I'm taking it. And that kid builds a little thing out of blocks or something, or Legos. The other kid comes in there and destroys it all, just to be mean. You ever watch that? They steal the cookies out of the mama's cookie jar. Because why? And we kind of laugh at it because they're little and they're cute. But if it continues to grow on unchecked, what happens? They end up They'll end up in in a life of crime, hurting people. So there is a need for a heart change in, in mankind, isn't there? That need, even from these little children, there's a need for a change in our heart. And that's what Jesus came to do, is to change our lives and to change our hearts. Without that change, we cannot have a relationship with God. Jesus said, In order to see, in John 3, the kingdom of God, you must be born again. In order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, do we take the words of Jesus or do we take the words of a Richard Dawkins or someone of that ilk? We have to take the words of Jesus. I think he knows a little bit more about eternal life than these other human uh, temporal people. So we have this... This great message of the gospel that comes to us. You must be born again. Well, how can I be born again? How can you be born again? How can anybody be born again? As when Jesus spoke that, he spoke it to one of the the most respected religious authorities in, in, in Israel at the time. Nicodemus. And Nicodemus answered him, and he hadn't even asked the question for to receive that kind of an answer. His question was totally unrelated, and Jesus cut right to the quick, and he and he shot that question, that answer out to him, and he said, "A man must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you be born again." That's the dilemma. Because how are you going to be born again? Nicodemus asked the question, "How do I go back in my mother's womb?" I'm a full-grown man. This is ridiculous. And Jesus said to him, in so many words, we must be born of the heart. Our heart must be born again. Remember? We must be born anew. Because God has to give us a new heart, a new change of heart, for us to begin to shift from our old ways, our selfish ways, our ways of life, where it's about me primarily, my feelings, my fulfillment of things, I have to be fulfilled in my life. It's a way of that, or it's a way of following him and doing things his way. And you know what? If we obey God, which the scripture gives us a great great understanding to, if we obey God, God is able to bless us With his blessings. If we disobey God, then the blessings are held back, aren't they? What do you want? What would you like in life? The blessings of God? Or the disfavor of God? I want the blessings of God. Because they're bigger. And they're more lasting than anything on this planet. Because this world is temporal. Everything on this world is temporal. So if we look at John, this wonderful chapter of John, and I didn't read out of Isaiah as I was turning to it, but we'll come back. Maybe. We'll see. But in John, he said, John chapter 3, Jesus goes on in the same chapter in John three sixteen. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, do you want everlasting life? We're all going to live Forever. It's whether we live with him in glory or whether we live in punishment. Ooh, nobody talks that way anymore, but it's true. This is what the scripture has for us to say. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The purpose of Jesus coming the first time was that the world would be saved through him. That people would see this great light in darkness. His teachings bring light, don't they? His teachings bring hope. His teachings bring encouragement. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, and that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. What is he saying there is that men and women would rather choose darkness over the light of Christ, over the hope, the glory, that Christ offers to us, the salvation that Christ offers to us. Men would rather go our own way, do our own thing, and think we've got it all figured out rather than doing things his way. Can you relate to that? Anybody ever been there? Maybe some. I have. Maybe some of you are still there. But there's good news. This light has come, and Jesus has come with his With this gift of life for us, this Christmas gift, that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life with him. You know, I think of the angels when they came to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. Remember the story? We've read some of that last week. And the shepherds, they said, what? We bring you great tidings of joy, didn't we? Jesus is great tidings of joy. The message of Jesus. It's wonderful. And I was thinking, last night I had somebody stop by, I had something for sale, and an old friend of mine, an old acquaintance from from way back, and I remember in high school, probably junior high, I knew this fellow, our paths had crossed off and on through the years, and, and I said to him, I said, oh, by the way, how is your wife? Well, I don't have a wife anymore. She left. And uh, so he was talking to me a little bit about that. And I just thought, "How, how much pain is really in the world today? Just another example of how much pain. The older I get, the more pain I see in life with people. This life, there's a lot of pain. A lot of you are going through painful times, hurtful times. In fact, you're going to have, perhaps you could have some painful times over the holidays. You know how it is. People can get upset during the holidays, can't they? When you get together to have a wonderful, joyful time, and some people just get mad, and there can be all kinds of stuff that goes on in relationships. Listen, Jesus came that we don't have to live in that way, Jesus came that though we suffer pain, suffer pain, it's temporal. It's not going to last forever. It's just in this world for a short time. And I know when we go through things, it can feel like this is going to last forever. But believe me, it's all temporal. For those of us who throw ourselves into the bosom of Christ. Those of us who receive the Christmas gift of Jesus Christ have the promise of comfort. Do you know that when, 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 when we go to meet the Lord, the Bible promises that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes? Every tear, every painful thing, every heartache, every disappointment, all the things that have just try to smush you down. Sometimes life can feel like you're a, a, a tent stake in the circus. And somebody's beating on you and beating on you. You've got three four people with sledgehammers beating you down, beating you down into the ground, just like a tent stake. Did you ever feel that way? We all have. I have. We all have. But guess what? It's temporary. Jesus has come to overcome that we can overcome all things. We can overcome all that comes before us. So Jesus did come for a purpose. He's not a fairy tale. Santa Claus, I better check my age group here, my audience. Oh, there's some young people here. I don't know if I should say this or not, but about Santa. I better not say it about Santa Claus. Okay, we'll leave Santa Claus alone today. He's real? Okay. Better believe it. <laughs> yeah, I remember the day, uh, Christmas morning, my brother took me out. I was really worried because we didn't hit any snow that year until Christmas night. And I was worried that Santa Claus wasn't going to be able to land on our roof. And my brother took me out the next morning and showed me that we got some snow during the night. And he said, so, Look it up there, there's no reindeer tracks, there's no sleigh tracks. Besides, how did that fat guy get down our chimney? And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, this makes perfect sense. But I think I was listening to the wrong guy. <laughs> were on the other side of the Pardon me? Were on the other side of the I went and checked that. I'm quite sure I checked that, yeah. <laughs> I left no stone unturned on, on my journey. <laughs> In my search for truth. <laughs> Did I read this out of Isaiah? I did earlier, and we opened up. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child, and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, liberal scholars have said that does not mean behold a virgin. that's That's translated a young maid. A young woman will have a child, a son. They're wrong. It's actually... The context in the Septuagint, the Greek New Te- the Greek Old Testament, it's it's very much so a virgin, a young virgin, will, and that's important. It's very important because if Jesus was not born of a virgin birth, he would have been born of the nature of Adam. The nature of Adam is a fallen nature, and Jesus would have had the sinful nature. He would have never his death would have been nothing. He would have been just another. A Jewish uh, man who was crucified by the Romans for a crime probably would never have been crucified because there wouldn't have been necessarily a reason for them to have killed him. But by claiming that he was the Son of God is the reason they killed him. By claiming to have lived a pure, spotless life was the reason they killed him. But they did it unknowingly for you and I because it was part of God's plan for you and I. And because Jesus died for us. We don't have to die. Oh, we'll die a physical death unless he comes back. But that's just the passing. I believe there's a great grace. I've been with a few people as they've died over the years, particularly people that love the Lord. And it was just a passing on. I don't think it's a, it's a hard thing. It's just like going, you're moving on. People that don't know the Lord will struggle and struggle and fight, and fight to stay alive, because they don't have that peaceful assurance. Oh, there is, there is a God. There is a Jesus Christ, and he has come to bring salvation to the world. You know, I was a young guy. I, I knew a little bit about Jesus because I went to Sunday school a little bit, and they gave me a Bible. It was a real hard translation to read, but I used to try to read that from time to time. But I got to be a teenager, and I got I got away from all those different things and I got pretty wild and I got pretty, you know, got in some trouble and things, nothing real, real serious, but enough to embarrass my family. And then it was some years later that I came to read a book. And it was a book about Jesus, a man's experience of meeting Jesus in that book. And in that book... He had a prayer, to pray that prayer. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night. My wife was sleeping, and I got up in the middle of the night, and you've heard, some of you have heard this story, but I went into the bathroom because it was a private place, and I knelt down by the side of the bathtub, and I asked the Lord to come into my life like I like would read in the book. Because the guy in the book had had an experience. He was pretty much an agnostic, but he was given this uh, assignment um, he was a journalist. He was given this assignment to find out about spiritual things. The charismatic renewal was happening around the time the book was written in the 60s, 70s. And he was given that assignment. And in this assignment, he came to find out. He was a nominal Christian, like I would have called myself. He was looking for the truth. Is there really, what's, is there, what's to all this? And he began to interview people. And he began to hear. And then he had an experience himself where Jesus came alive to him. And it so struck me. In the book, as I read that, it just quickened. You know that word quicken? It's an old English word. It means to come alive. You cut your fingernail to the quick. That means you cut it down to the living tissue, and it hurts. But this was, it was quickened to me. It made alive to me. And a sudden, I just knew he was real. I knew he was real. And I got up. And that wasn't just, I just didn't get up just to pray. But I got up and I went and I prayed and I prayed the prayer and asked him to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I went back to bed. The next morning I woke up. I didn't tell my wife for a while. I got up and I just was different. I just felt a relief in life. I felt like, like now there's a purpose in life. Because that's what's going on with so many people. They're living a life with no purpose. What's this life about? I'm just like, hey, if I die, I'm a dead dog. You know, who cares? Just, you know, throw me in the oven. Burn me up. Throw my ashes over someplace, you know, and ash heap. What's to life? Throw me in a hole. Kick some dirt over my face. Pat some mud on my, on my face. You know, that's, that's life. And it happens so quick. But Jesus has come to give us purpose of life. He's come to give us meaning in life, and he's real. He's done that. He's done that, and it's for each and every person that will. So, if you're struggling, if you're wondering, oh, is this real? Is this? I'm coming to church because I'm kind of it's Christmas time, or it's you know I am kind of wondering about. I kind of half searching. I've been thing. I don't think I believe, and I do, and I don't. Why vacillate between two opinions? Be diligent, either diligently move ahead and make your decision. No, there is no God, and live your life that way. Or yes, there is a God, and live your life appropriately. Why vacillate between two decisions, right? Do one or the other. Why be double-minded about it? But I have news for you. A lot of people don't want to search for God because you know why? They're afraid they'll find him. And when they find them, they have to change their life around. And a lot of people do not want to change their life around. And if that's you, what more can we say? You've heard what we had to say. If that's not you, and you want to serve them, then do it with your whole heart. Don't just be mediocre about it. Do it with your whole heart. Because he did everything for us with a whole heart, did he not? With a whole heart and he changes us from the inside out. That's the miracle. That's where Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, because it has to be that we are changed from the inside out. It has to be a changing in the heart, and not just from a mental. That's part of it. My thoughts begin to change. How I think begins to change, but it begins to come from the heart, and the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. His kindness leads us to repentance, doesn't it? Isn't that good news? Oh, I'll tell you what. I thought of my friend, I mentioned you a moment ago, and I thought of our marriage, and I thought, you know, if it wasn't for God in our marriage, uh, we, wouldn't, we would probably be divorced. Or she would have murdered me, one or the other. I don't know what... <laughs> first they say that they say that murders forgiven you know you can be forgiven for being a murderer but in a lot of churches you a lot of churches you you can't be forgiven if you're divorced but you'd be forgiven if you murdered your spouse so it doesn't make quite the sense to me but I better leave that one sit. we'll do that at a marriage conference sometime But I'm still here, (laughs) and we're still here, aren't we, hon? That's because Christ has changed our life. Has it been easy? No, it hasn't been easy. But it's been a whole lot easier than if I would have kept going the other direction. And when you make a change in your life, and you make a change in your life, you're not only changing your life, and Christ is not only changing your life, but he's making a change in your family's life. Your spouse's wife, your sibling's life, your parents—if they're nonbelievers—the change he makes in you will affect people for decades and perhaps generations and generations past you. Do you understand? The, the blessings of God for, for a thousand generations—it says—for those who love Him, His generations. In Exodus twenty, it says, "For those who who are idolaters and hate Me." The iniquities of the fathers will fall on to the third and fourth generation. you see the patterns of fathers to sons to fathers to sons going downward. Have you ever seen that in life? Look around. It's there. Every place you look, you'll see it. The father, the son, the son, grandson going downwards. It's until the redeeming power of Jesus Christ comes into a family that the family can then get back on the right track where God intended, and the blessings can come back in the family. When I was in business, I did a lot of work for very, very affluent people. And let me tell you, just because people are very, I'm going to stop in just a moment, but just because people are very, very affluent does not mean their life is together. Just because they're very, very wealthy and they have beautiful homes and lots of money and very expensive cars does not mean their life is together. Many of their lives are just, they hide it, but they're just frazzled with sin and the power of sin that's ravaged their families and they're in heartache and pain. Jesus has come and he's come for a purpose. And I'm going to close with this scripture out of Luke chapter 4. And I was actually going to read more of the prophecies this morning and uh, more of the scriptures which I haven't for the sake of time. But I'm going to read out of chapter 4. And when I think of my friend and I think of life in general, Luke spoke these words. And Luke was the only Gentile author of any Bible, any book in the Bible. Starts out in chapter 1 saying that he diligently researched this, what he wrote. But in chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus himself got up in the temple, in the synagogue, brother. And he said, the spirit, he quotes out of Isaiah, partially quotes. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, the poor of heart. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And I have this to say and declare to you, this is the favorable year of the Lord. If you are downtrodden, if you are blind, And I'm not talking about just physically blind, but if you're blind and you can't see, what is going on? I don't understand this. I can't see it. I keep making mistakes. I keep stumbling in life. I keep doing the wrong things and making the wrong decisions. If that's you, you're blind. And Jesus has come for you. If you are a captive to your emotions, if you are a captive to your past, if you are a captive to drugs or alcohol or addictions of sexual immorality or whatever it might be, if you are a captive, Jesus has come to set you free. If any of these things that you can look upon here in this word and identify with, Jesus has just given us to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's for you and for me. I was all these things. And God came into my life and began to change my life. Has it been easy? No. But it was a whole lot easier than if I'd gone the other path. He took me from that path and put me on the right path. Two, two paths diverge in the middle of a wood, right? And God is calling us today, the old poem. And God is calling us today to say, today is the day to get on the right path. Today is the day to walk... In light and choose light and not darkness. Today is that day. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. So that's my challenge to you this morning. What path are you on? At least acknowledge it and then get on the right path if you're on the wrong one. If you're on the right path, keep sailing ahead, full speed ahead. If you're on the wrong path, it's time to switch back. Jesus can take us back and get us on that right track. Amen. Amen? If you're on the wrong path, don't leave here unless you've made a decision to get on the right path. Now, it doesn't matter to me. It's no, it's no skin off my nose what path you choose. But it will be off yours. And it would be on mine if I hadn't told you the truth. But that's the truth. God is calling us to walk with him. Don't choose darkness over light, for he is the light of the world. Let's stand, please, and we'll close. I know some of you say, saying, I just want to feel good. I just want to feel good. Make me feel good. You will feel good when you get on your knees and say, Jesus, come into my life. I got a mess here. Fix me. You will feel good. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction, but you will also bring the joy of our salvation, Lord. We thank you for showing and revealing the kindness of you, God. You could have wiped us out. You could have sent us all to hell. You could have done so many things, but you sent your Son, Jesus. You came in human body, God incarnate, God in human flesh, to die when you were born under that manger and placed in that manger, the shadow of the cross covered that manger, Lord. You were born to die for us. And Lord, how can we reject so great a gift? So I pray for each person here, Lord, that not one would reject that gift of life that you've given us. Not one would just go off with the emotional thoughts of, well, I think this and I think that, but would diligently search for you and seek you with all their heart. I pray for your richest blessing, Lord, as we celebrate this marvelous season, for without Christmas there'd be no Easter. And I thank you, Lord. We pray for your peace and joy in each of our homes, each of our Places we visit, as we walk in, may the peace of God follow us into each and every place. Lord, let your blessing flow on each person. We ask this in Christ's name. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen. 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 God bless you.